Well, good morning, Wawasi Bible. Hope you're all doing well today. First question, who is the most famous person that you have personally met? You got their autograph, shook their hand, had a brief conversation with them. Write that in the chat tab if you're following online. Or you could say it, if you're with a group of people, just say it out loud. Famous person, most famous person you ever met. For me, it was a pitcher from the New York Yankees who came to our church one Sunday morning. His name was Tommy John, four-time All-Star, pitching for the Yankees in the, the 1980s. It would be comparable to if, say, I know, I think we're a Cubs church. I think I could safely say that. It would be like if Kyle Hendricks or Hugh Darvish called ahead and say, hey, Josh, I'm coming to your church this Sunday. And so Tommy John had called ahead to our church. My dad was an elder there and said, hey, I'm coming to your church and I really don't want any attention at all. I just want to come and worship and, and check out your church. And so that's how I found out about it. And a bunch of the church kind of spread through the, the grapevine saying like, well, hey, we need to play it cool. Try to be normal. Any other Sunday, just play it cool. And maybe Tommy John, all-star New York Yankees pitcher will become a part of our church family. So the Sunday goes on, and we're leaving church. Tommy John was there, and, and we're, we're hoping things had gone well. There were two exits from our church. And so my family was going into the parking lot. Tommy John was just getting into the front seat of his car when the other exit, which had a heavy, heavy wooden door, and that door just burst open like a giant had punched it. And out stepped this woman in our church, who's normally very well-behaved, and she, she had on six-inch high heels, a long navy blue dress, high at the collar, low at the ankles, and she looks around the parking lot. She spots Tommy John, and she starts screaming, Tommy John, Tommy John, and waving her arms at him. Everyone just froze. And the most amazing thing hit, happened. She just flew across that church parking lot on her high heels, and Tommy John had this look on his face like he had just been hit with a baseball. She gets to Tommy John, gets his autograph, and that's the last we ever see of Tommy John at our church. And the most amazing thing about that day was not Tommy John, but it was watching that woman sprint across the church parking lot with six-inch high heels. And the reason I tell you that story is because after that Sunday, I could say, hey, I know Tommy John. New York Yankees pitcher. Oh, yeah, we go to church together. Met him in church. Was in the same church as me. And I could say, well, I've seen him on TV. I've read the stat lines in the, in the newspapers. But in another sense, I don't know Tommy John. I saw him one time on a Sunday morning at our church and sat next to him and sat near him. But I, I don't know what he eats for breakfast. I don't know what TV shows he likes to watch. I don't know how he treats his, his wife and children. I really don't know Tommy John. And so the point today is about uncertain certainty. Is about when it comes to Jesus, do we really know him? Do we just know the things that we've always heard in church? Or do we really know Jesus? Do we know his comfort, his love, his power to forgive? So my main point today is knowing Jesus is salvation and knowing Jesus leads to knowing yourself. In other words, coming to know who Jesus is for yourself leads to knowing who you truly are. They go together as we're going to see in today's passage. So what I'd like to do is just read 
the passage today from Matthew 16. I invite you just to read along with me. Then I'm going to lead us into prayer, and we're going to dive in. So I'm reading from Matthew 16, verses, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would work in each of our hearts this morning and just drawing us into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, may we know more deeply and truly who you are and who we are. Guide our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come back to verse 13 and start there. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and geographically, Caesarea Philippi was as far north in Israel as you could get at that time, as far north as you can get away from Jerusalem. It would be like saying Jesus was somewhere right around the Canadian border. And so this is where the story takes place in Matthew 16. And after this, if you keep reading the book of Matthew, it's get, he's going to start to head down south toward Jerusalem, and things are going to continue to really pick up speed, leading to his arrest, crucifixion, and, and resurrection. So he asked his disciples, as they're having a little bit of a lull before the storm here, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so as I was thinking about this this week, I had that image of the game show, Family Feud, where you know you've got families on either side, and, and the, the MC will give a, he'll give us some type of topic, and he'll say, well, who do you say? And he'll say, survey says, and so here I, I kind of picture, they're saying, survey says, John the Baptist, 32%. Elijah, 20, 28%. And others, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, 16%. And prophets, nine, whatever. And so then, so he says, well, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? But then he pointedly says, but, as if to say, doesn't matter what other people think, but who do you say that I am? So let's stop right there and just think about that question ourselves. Now, perhaps you're familiar with church and you've seen this many times. Maybe today you're seeing it for the very first time. But I want you to think, Jesus is God. He knows who he is. Why is he asking this question? I want you to consider, isn't it strange that God is asking a question? Like if, if I was God, I'd be thinking maybe like, I don't care what you think. I know I'm God. I don't, it doesn't matter what you think. What you think is going to change the fact that I am God. What does it tell us about Jesus that on a one-to-one -one basis he says, who do you say that I am? I think there's, there's many things it teaches us. It teaches us that Jesus is personal with you, that he wants a one-to-one -one connection. 
creator to creation. You are made in his image. He is a personal, relational God. Unlike any other God, unlike any other religion, that he loves you, that he wants to know you, that it ma- your, your feelings, your beliefs matter. That he, he comes to you and he says, but who do you say that I am? He already knows that he is God, but he invites you to come and discover the truth for yourself. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they, what's the word here? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. In so many religions, it's all about what you do. There's a, a distant, unknowable God, and the key to that religion is that you have to do all the right things, and you have to do enough things to make this distant, unknowable, scary God, hopefully, the God will be happy with you. But Christianity, unlike any of those, has a God who says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. And this word knowing is for experience. It's for relationship. It's for contact. For Not like I just know about Tommy John, the all-star pitcher, because I read about him in the newspaper, but that I actually know him on a personal level and walk with him on a daily basis. So who do you say that he is? This is, what, this is what it comes to very quickly in this passage. When we read it, it was there in real time for Peter. But, but Peter, okay, who do you say that I am? And it comes to us in the same way. It cuts, cuts right to it. It's not about, well, what does my Sunday school teacher say? Or what does my, my dad or my mom say? What does the pastor say? What does this TV show say? What does this movie say? But it cuts right to it, and God comes to you and says, but who, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? This is what our God is all about. He's a personal God, a relational God. Come to eliminate the uncertainty about who your Savior is. You may think today that your greatest need is to escape from the, the COVID-19 and all the ramifications and all the ways, the privations we, we've suffered and, and the hindrances and the inconveniences and the losses and the, the anxiety that it's put upon each and every one of us. But our greatest need today is to know Jesus. Our greatest need is not for more money, a new job, better relationship. Our greatest need is not for our loneliness or our struggles with anxiety or depression to be lifted. Our greatest need to, in all the, whatever storms we are facing, is to have a deeper connection, a real daily connection with a living God, with Jesus Christ our Savior, and to be certain of that and to walk in that certainty. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, and so Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Let's see, in, in Matthew 16, Peter answers this, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, I point to our main point today, knowing Jesus is salvation. It's knowing him. And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice, 
Simon Peter doesn't give the response, he is, or he is Jeremiah, or he is John the Baptist, or he is the Christ. He says, Jesus says directly to him, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responds directly and says, you are the Christ. Jesus does not say he is, but Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to talk for a moment about you are versus he is type relationship. And that we might be tempted a lot of times when we're, when we're just thinking about information, when someone asks us a question like, well, the store is over there, or that gas station is here, or he is a great baseball player, or he is our pastor. But there's the language of you are when you're talking directly to a person. And I think we are encouraged here in this passage to, to come to Jesus with a you are relationship. And my hope and prayer for, for every one of us watching and, and participating this morning is that we have a, a you are relationship with God, that God is not distant and aloof and unknowable. And like you, you talk about him and you think about God as he is Jesus, he is the Savior, he died for my sins. But that we have the type of relationship where we said, you are, you are the one who died for my sins. You are the living God and you live in me. You are the one who forgives me. There's a lot of names of Jesus. I had so many to choose from, but I'm gonna just bring up a list right now of some names of Jesus, just some that I thought would be good for us to reflect on this morning. And so I chose from 1 Timothy, King of Kings, um, I'm the way from John 14. All of these have scripture references. And so you could easily Google names for Jesus. You, you might have a concordance at the back of your Bible that would list a bunch of the names of Jesus. And so for you to connect more deeply with the certainty of Jesus as your Savior, you might spend some time as, as an individual, as a, as a couple, um, as a family, and just sometimes you pray for God and you say, thank you, Jesus, you are my King of Kings. You are, you are the way. You are the sunrise from John chapter 1, uh, from Luke chapter 1. You, you are my hope. You are my rock. You are my prince of peace. And you just practice these to develop a, a stronger personal relationship. This is the way that Jesus wants you to come to him, that you are my hope. You are my rock. You are my sunrise, that you address him in this. He comes to you and says, but who do you say that I am? And we want to come right back to him and say, you are my savior. You are my life. You are my truth. And all the other titles and names that we have for Jesus. And even in connection with last week's message, as Josh was talking about storms and just that often God brings us, he allows circumstances in our lives to teach us more deeply who he is, that we might reach out to him and discover just how much of a rock he is, how much of the king of kings, the prince of peace he is right in the middle of our storms. And now in verse 17, Jesus answers him. And we move the, to the second part of our main point, knowing Jesus' salvation and knowing Jesus leads to knowing yourself. In verse 17 it says, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, happy are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, the, the Hebrew word bar meaning son. Simon, son of Jonah. For 
Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So when Jesus says flesh and blood, he's saying your Sunday school teacher, your pastor, any human being, the the synagogue ruler, the Pharisees, um, the TV personality, the TV preacher, the, the teacher, your mother, your father, flesh and blood, any human being has not revealed this truth to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven has opened your mind, turned the light on so that you suddenly saw that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what this verse is saying is that here's the supernatural element that we can teach all we want, we can all about Jesus, but there's a supernatural element that takes the place in, in, the, in, the part, in, the, in the life of everyone who becomes a Christian where God turns on the light, where suddenly we realize that I am a sinner, I need salvation, Jesus is the Son of God, He is the truth, and I want Him. And you invite Him into your life. For my own personal story, it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I suddenly realized that Christianity was a personal relationship, that Christianity was not just about a bunch of rules, that it was a relationship with Jesus, and that I needed him. And when the light came on, one of the first things I did was I called my mother and said, like, hey, I've received, I've really accepted Christ, and I, it's a personal relationship. And my mother was plainly put out And she was like, I've told you that a hundred times. And you know what? I believe my mother. I don't think my mother is a liar. And I think she probably had told me that a hundred times. But it wasn't until God the Father just made me understand and spoke to me that it finally clicked and the light came on and I had my own faith. And so the point of this passage, it's not about our IQ. It's about supernatural in the sense that God does the miraculous, that God does something only he can do and that myself or no other pastor can do and that God shows and turns the light on each one of us that we say, Jesus is God. He is the truth. He is the way and I'm going to follow him. And so we see that that there's our part and God's part. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In Jeremiah 29, 13, talks, it's one of those verses that talks about our part. And it, when it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so our part is to seek God with all our heart. We seek him, we pray to him, we, we study him, we, we hear messages about him, we go to church, we talk about Jesus, we, we, we explore Jesus, we investigate Jesus. That's our part. And then there's God's part. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven it is something that only God does. He does the miraculous. He reaches inside us and turns the light on that we understand, we comprehend, and we reach for him. God's part, when we think about that, what what does that emphasize for us? Prayer. This is why prayer is so powerful, and it's, it's our recourse so many times. You're a parent. You want your son or daughter to know Jesus. Well, you encourage them, son, daughter, seek Seek the Lord and find him. Search for him with all your heart. But then as, as a father, mother, you come, you say, Jesus, Father, 
reveal yourself to my son or daughter because there's only so much I can do. You, you can talk about uh, a coworker, a friend, someone you, you love and you want them to know Jesus as, as their Savior and say, like, you, you have to search. You have to, here's who Jesus is. And you could talk to them till you're blue in the face. You could you explain to them why Jesus is the Son of God, why he rose from the dead, why the Bible is true. And you could say, hey, you've got to seek him. You've got to search for him. But then ultimately you've got to come back here and recognize God's part. And you just pray, Lord, Show my friend, show my friend, show my coworker who you are. Reach inside them and turn the light on so that they might know that you are the real God, that you're the Savior of the world. So when we find Jesus, we find ourselves. So we're going to go on now. So knowing Jesus is salvation, and knowing Jesus leads to knowing yourself. Because in verse 18, Jesus says, and I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So for today, I'm just going to focus right here, just on the beginning of this verse, where he says, you are Peter. Say, what? His name is Simon, Jesus. What what are you doing changing his name? But Jesus says, your new name will be Peter, which is a Greek word meaning rock. Now, in the Bible, it's not at all unusual for God to change a person's name. Just a few examples. In the book of Genesis, he changes the name of the patriarch Abram, meaning exalted father. He changes his name to Abraham. Not a major change, but a small tweak, meaning father of a multitude. Because the promise to Abraham is that you're going to be a father of there's going to be so many people that are going to be like the sand of the sea, you, the stars in the sky, you won't be able to count them, when as yet he didn't have a single son or daughter. His wife, her name was Sarai, meaning princess, and, and God said, your name is going to be Sarah, meaning my princess, my special one, you belong to me. In another case, There was a man named Jacob in the Bible, and also in the book of Genesis, whose name meant deceiver, supplanter, basically a trickster, someone who always tricked people, who did things the deceiving way. And after a night spent with wrestling with God in a tumultuous time in his life, God says, your name is no longer Jacob now. Your name is Israel because you're, you overcome, you strive with God and with man, you overcome. You're now no longer a deceiver, but you're now a man who takes things directly and honestly and uprightly and wrestles through them and fights through the right way. And so why does God change a person's name? Because knowing God leads to knowing yourself. A name is a powerful thing. Why did Jesus change Peter's name? Because Peter now was going to begin to step into a new mission. He had a new identity. He didn't know he was a rock, but in Christ, Peter would be a rock upon which God would build his church. Why does God change people's names? What gave Jesus the right to abruptly change Peter's name? It was a sign of ownership. You belong to me, and you are bought with my blood. New name equals new, new ownership. You're bought with his blood. You're in his family. You belong to him. 
A new name equals a new purpose in life. A new name equals a new identity, a new life. When we find Jesus, we find ourselves. So what about you? Does Jesus still give new names to people today? I think it was very helpful what Josh walked us through during our prayer time this morning. And those are great labels, new names, so to speak. That you are God's friend, that you are brand new, that you are loved by God. Also, you are forgiven. Those are new names for us. And I think also God, sometimes in prayer, he'll speak to us and, and give you some type of new name that's even more personal and specific. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, when God is speaking to the churches, and he's speaking to all believers, and he says in Revelation 2, 17, he says this, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. And here's the portion that applies to us today. With a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And again, it speaks to who our God is, that he's personal. And that sometimes he has a new name for you, a new way that he wants you to see yourself. A new purpose, a new direction, a new mission in life. And this is why it's good to sometimes just to pray where you stop talking and in your prayer you just listen. You just say something like, Lord, show me. Show me who you are. Show, how do you call me, Lord? What's, do you have a name for me? And that's a good, a normal, a good prayer to pray. A certainty of who God is leads to a certainty of who you are. Uncertainty of who God is leads to uncertainty of who you are. Certain of God equals certain of yourself. A certain, a, being more certain of his love affects how you live. Being more certain of his power affects how you live every day. Being more certain of his forgiveness, of his ability to transform your life, to work all things for good, affects the certainty with which you approach life. Knowing Jesus is salvation. Knowing Jesus leads to knowing yourself. And I'm beginning to wrap up now. And again, I just come back to the question for today. The question that, that cuts through for every single one of us. And that's it. That is, but who do you say that I am? We all have to answer this question for ourselves. No one else can answer it for us. Not our best friends, not our pastors, not our parents, not our children. But each one of us has to answer this question and Jesus comes to us, but who do you, who do you say that I am today? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I pray that you come to that yourself. So how can you respond? Closing thoughts. The main question is not, have you been good or bad the main question is not, are you a good enough person? Have you done good enough things? The question is, who do you say that I am? We often will talk about, did you pray the prayer to ask Jesus into your heart? Important question? Oh, yes, it is. But I want to say that the more important question is, do you know Jesus? It's a little different type of question, 
and only you can answer it, but do you know him? Not know about him, but do you know Jesus? And praying that prayer today, I'm going to give you a chance at the end, can lead you into that knowing him. Within our Christian tradition, there is an emphasis of just taking deliberate time to be with God to answer this very question. Jesus himself sets the example. It says in Luke 5.16 that Jesus often went to lonely places to be with God. And at the beginning, before he launched his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness alone with God in preparation to launch into the rest of his life and his ministry. In the early days of the Christian faith, it was common for people to go off into the wilderness, to go into the desert, to be alone with God, to connect with God, to meet with God, to take intentional relational time to connect with God. In the medieval times, they talked about a pilgrimage, going on a special trip to connect with God. Even here in the United States, in Native American religions, which I'm not at all saying are Christian religions, but you may be familiar with, in, with, with young boys, with young girls, they would talk about a vision quest where they intentionally went off by themselves for three or four days to connect with the Great Spirit. Of course, I'm not advocating anything like that, but I'm applying that for us as followers of Jesus that there is something that is not at all unusual, that should be normal, that even as a rite of passage, if you're new to the faith, or if you're earnest, or you're, you're sincere about who is God, am I, just, am I just taking it for granted what others have told me about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus for myself. And you taking intentional time, whether it's I'm going to take an hour every day, or I'm going to take these two days this weekend to go off by myself to try to connect with God, and I'm going to ask people to pray for me that I might connect with God in a new way. There's nothing strange or unusual about that. That's part of our Christian faith. Do that. We want to encourage that, that you take time, whether it's on a daily basis of getting up early for the next week, for a half hour, and I'm just going to pray in a way that I've never prayed before, that I want to know you myself. Show me who you are, that that's a good prayer. So in closing... Let's pray. I'm going to pray two prayers. I'm going to pray, number one, just to, to give you a, a, a chance to ask Jesus into your heart. But I'm also just going to give you a second prayer just to show me who you are. So I want to encourage you right now just to bow your head, and we're going to pray. And again, the first prayer is if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, and if you're, as you're watching and you're already a Christian, I want you to just be praying for people who may be right now deciding to follow Jesus. Just pray along as, as I'm leading in prayer. So you can pray a prayer like this. Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Show me who you are. A second prayer, whether you are not a Christian and you want to push into God, if you want to explore Him, if you want to cry out to Him to see if He's real, or perhaps you're just a Christian and, and you, you really want to grab onto Him in a deeper way, here's a prayer for you. You pray, God, show me how real you are. 
God, show me how real you are in my life right now. God, help me to seek you with all my heart. Help me to find you and discover you in new ways. And keep praying that prayer throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.